Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today here at Colonial Heights. Of course, joining us from out at Midlothian. Y'all look none the worse for the wear. The, the first week of school did not kill you. That is great. Everybody looks just fine today. You know, I always, I've always told my kids, you can't finish something until you start it. And so think of the whole first week of school is gone. It's practically summertime. I mean, this, this, it's almost over. We're just almost done now. So first week down, a couple more to go, right? Good to see you here, though, this morning. Hope you'll open your Bibles with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, near the end of your New Testament. Go to Revelation, I say, and just kind of start backing up a few books and you'll run into it. If today is your first time with us, or maybe you hadn't been here in a couple of weeks, we have started a series in the book of James, the letter of James, I guess would be more accurate to say. We started this back at the end of uh, July, and we're, we're calling it Faith in Gear, because what you're going to see with James is he is always challenging us, let me see it. Let's not just talk about our faith, let's see it living, let's see it moving, let's see it coming to life in our lives. There's a real challenge there, and James, you might remember, is the, the half-brother of Jesus. Of course, we know that Jesus was born by that miraculous virgin birth, but the Bible tells us, the Gospels tell us that after that birth, Mary and Joseph had other children, and at least two of those were sons named James and Jude. Both attributed to the New Testament there at the end. Jude, a little short letter. James, the letter that we're looking at now. Both of his half-brothers did not grow up believing in him. Matter of fact, they thought Jesus was crazy. Uh, They looked at him as an embarrassment to the family. But after the resurrection, there was a powerful change in their lives. Should be true for you and me too, right? There was a powerful change in their lives. and, And James in particular goes on to be the key leader of the church. I know for you and I, we'll tend to think of people like Peter and Paul and, of course, their impact, but, but even the Scriptures show people like Paul reporting to James. So James has a, a great impact on the church. And I think as this letter is being written, you, you know, the gospel's been going out for about three decades now. And, and, a, and there's more and more people that are saying, yeah, I'm a Christian yeah, I, I'm a believer, but as that goes on and as that grows, there's more and more people saying that for whom there's nothing different. Nothing changed. Oh, there's this, there's this statement of, but there's no life backing it up. And that's really what James seems to be challenging and, and getting at here in this letter. Now, where we read today, and if you have been here the last month or so since we've been in this, as I read James 3, beginning in verse 1, you are going to say, haven't, haven't we heard this? Haven't, haven't we talked about this already? And the answer is, yeah, we have. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this. You ever had somebody that just can't let something go? Just won't let it drop? Don't elbow the person next to you. No, that's not who I'm talking about. It, it, it's James here. James will not let go of this issue of the tongue. I mean, he just won't let it go. Now remember... Short letter here, only five chapters, and yet we've already heard chapter 1, verse 19. Be quiet. Just just cut all your talking at least in half. 
Be quiet, listen a whole lot more. So there's the first time he addressed it. He doesn't go much further. We're in verse 26 of chapter 1. And he says, listen, if you think you're all that with God and you don't have control of this little animal, you ain't all that with God. Okay, now we're in chapter 3 and we're going to get not a verse, we're going to get 12 verses. Two-thirds of this chapter is going to be about the tongue. And oh, by the way, if you got your Bible open, just peek down at chapter 4, verse 11. <laughs> James cannot let it go. Of course, I wonder if James is saying to us, and you guys just can't get it. Think about it, folks. We can tame the king of the jungle. We can tame the deadliest of serpents, but we cannot tame that beast right there. And boy, I'm telling you something, if you weren't sure what part of the body we were talking about, that is a tongue. I, I, I assure you. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 with me here. Chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire, where does the tongue get its inspiration? From hell. Hell is inspiring the tongue. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the... From the same mouth come blessing and cursing? My brothers, that, that, that just shouldn't be. That, that, that doesn't work that way. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Gosh, I just, I just wish I understood what James was saying. You know, I just wish he would be clear. What are you trying to say? No, he's he pretty clear, isn't he? I, no, no wonder about where James is going. You know, the funny thing is, I, I say that. I'm pretty clear about everything except the first verse. I, I don't know. That, that to me just seems like kind of a, an awkward way, an odd way to open up a discussion 
about the tongue. I don't see verse 1 as a verse all by itself. We should have studied this and then started next week with verse 2. No, verse 1 goes with this whole thing. So if I'm James and, and I'm trying to get all of us thinking about the sins of the tongue, you know, we lie, we cuss, we gossip, we talk bad to people, we talk bad about people, you know, I'm wanting us to think about that, then, then why would I start with a warning to teachers. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting teachers can't say something wrong. They, they do. But, but why this warning? Why does that idea get us thinking about this? I mean, he, he's saying to me, the pastor, to, to our Sunday school teachers in here, to the, the ones watching our kiddos right now and teaching them, our, our discipleship teachers on Wednesday night. Hey, listen, when, when you come and stand before God, th- there's going to be a different test for you. There's going to be a greater and a stricter judgment. And, I, and I'm thinking through that and then it kind of dawns on me how utterly brilliant James is in starting this way. I, I don't know that James is wanting us at this point to stop and think about all the specific sins of the tongue as much as he is wanting us to stop and think about the power of the tongue. The power to shape to build, to direct, to cut, to destroy. And so see, we start thinking about a teacher, and you I mean that's somebody that, that uses words to influence, to, to shape, to direct, to guide. And, and, and so there's this warning here to me. Hey, hey, Randy, when you come before me, that you're, you're going to go through a realm of testing that others are not. Why? <laughs> Why is that, Lord? Because, Randy, your words are shaping and directing how people think about me, how people understand me. Your words are, are shaping and directing how, how people understand and think about my word. You'll be held accountable for that. You, you have to answer for that. So, a little warning there for anybody who maybe chases this position because they, they like to be up front. I like to be seen. Whose voice is better to hear than mine? Man, that better not be the only motive because by chasing this position, you chase a greater judgment. But see what James has got us thinking about? He's got us thinking about the power and the influence of words because words have power. Words have power. Words shape and direct our lives. Every single one of us in here. One of the most influential things going on in your life is the words people have spoken to you. Some good words, words that encouraged us, directed us, inspired us, and, and, and some not so good words, right? Words that, that empty us of worth, words that tell us maybe we're not lovable. And we all deal with this, we all remember it. Man, I, I remember a, a, a set of words, I was in fourth grade, fourth, that's a long time ago, Fourth grade, it was near the end of the day, the bell was about to ring and the teacher's handing out the math test and, and she comes to me and she says, Randy, look at your math test, this is such a good score, you're doing so well. And of course, I'm, what can I say, math is just my thing. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm all big chested, give me that test, you know. I go and I sit down and she finishes handing out the test and, and I notice a few minutes later a classmate is up at the desk talking and holding his test and talking about it with the teacher and I probably noticed that because the classmate up there was my best friend whose name happened to be Randy. 
And uh, so she gets up and she comes over and says, Randy, I gave you Randy Pashada's test. Here's your test. Now stop right there. This is bad enough. But Miss Rule ain't done. And then she says, I should have known you couldn't score that high. Are you, who says that? All right, you know what? I was 10 years old, but I had a big old adult word in my heart for her right there at that moment. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure James would say, don't let that word out. And uh, I didn't. I'm not sure it was under the inspiration of the Spirit, but uh, now I would say that didn't affect me. And then I could psychoanalyze myself and say, then why are you talking about it 40 years later? You know what I am absolutely confident of today? That every single person in this room, every person out at the theater, has a memory of a word just like that. You've got a word just like that from a a parent, a teacher, a coach. That, That most popular kid that everybody listened to was such a jerk, never had a good word for you. And man, that that word cut, that word emptied. And man, you remember that word. Some of us live our whole lives trying to live down those words. You You know what I do hope for you? I'm not near as confident that every one of us has this. Man, I hope for every one of us some, some good words, those, those words that, that do build, that, that do direct, that help you make that exact right decision at the exact right moment, those words that fill you with love and worth. Yes, I had a misrule, but I also had a Dr. Reed, and I had a Coach Martinez, and I had a, a mom and a dad. I have a wife right now who, who have continually spoken life into me. That is so good and that is so powerful. I just wish I could believe that that was true for every one of us. You know, it's one of the great prayers that I pray for our church family. Is that when people enter this family, they enter this building, that words of life are spoken in them, that words of life are being spoken around them. Yes, of course, from the pulpit and in the lectern, in the classroom. But you know, a lot of these words, great impact is the one-on-one, isn't it? It's, it's not one to the group, it's, it, it's that one-on-one. And you know, I'm confident that every Sunday and all through the week that a lot of those words are being spoken, especially for those of us that are here week in and week out, that have built a lot of our relationships in and around this family. But I, don't you want it to also be true for the person who walks in here for the first time? For, for the person who maybe just not quite hit that level of consistency, they're kind of in and out. Man, I want it for them too. Because words are so wonderful and awful in their power and impact on our lives. God, may it be true that when people enter this family we call the heights, that words of life are being spoken to the person who walks in here for the first time, to the person who is here every single week. You know, one of the things I find interesting about, about James chapter 3, isn't it, is all the illustrations being thrown at us. Did you notice that? I, I, mean, I mean, he starts off with teachers. We end talking about olives and salt water. In, in between, we're, we're looking at, at a bit. It's a little tiny piece of metal. 
Just a little tiny thing and yet you place it appropriately in the mouth and now all of a sudden you and I can control an animal much bigger and much more powerful than us. Or a rudder. I mean, in, in, in proportion to the whole ship, a very small instrument, and yet it directs the course. A flame. How big is a flame? Look at the end of your finger. Would that be about it? That's a flame right there. And yet that little thing right there, or maybe even smaller, a spark, can set ablaze and destroy thousands and thousands of acres and sometimes homes and lives in its path. And just like those things, this, it sets a course for people. It controls people. And it's so incredibly destructive. I'm particularly drawn to this idea in in verse 9 and 10. You know, think of your mouth, if you will, for a moment as a spigot, <laughs> as a faucet. Now, I understand we got machines today, you know, you got, you've been to one of these Coke machines where you, where you can dial up like 45 varieties of flavors and it all comes out okay. Okay, so we have that, but we're not talking about that. I'm talking about the thing out by the side of your house. You turn it on and, and water comes out. Orange juice is never coming out. Coca-Cola is never coming out of that. You got that spigot. Well, that's the illustration that, that, that James is using. We, we got this spigot. We got this faucet right here. And we, we turn it on. And, and what comes out? And, and, and James says, I, 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 don't, I don't know how this works. How, how can this be? Because you and I can turn, turn this thing on. Do you see the switch right here? We, we can turn this thing on. And man, out comes songs of praise. Out comes prayer. Out comes affirmation of God's word. For, for many of us here today, maybe already, out have come words that do bless. That do encourage. Words that do help. And then, folks, look at how untamable this thing is. Because while all of that is going on in the same morning, in the same building, seconds later, poison and death can come flowing out. As we snap at a person or we talk about a person. How does that happen? How can we do that in here and be going down the sidewalk, out to the car, into a classroom in just seconds and out comes this. Now, you know what? Most of us in here, we will absolutely say, I'm not perfect. I've sinned. I have sins. But you know what? Probably nobody in here has ever confessed to is that death and poison flows out of my mouth. And the reason we don't confess that, I believe, is twofold. For one, we minimize. Well, I don't, I don't say that much. Or it's not that big of a deal. They'll get over it. You know, so I just, I just make it smaller. I make it not so impacting and I minimize. So it can't be death and poison. The other thing I do is I justify it. Truth hurts. Hey, what I said is right. You know one of the most powerful things you and I could learn? Because you're right, doesn't make it right. So we'll justify, hey, it's right. It needs to be said. It needs to be. And so for these two things, we'll kind of minimize and say, hey, listen, I got lots of good stuff coming out of me. I got lots of good words. Hey, few words, few sentences here and there slip. Hey, well, let's think about this idea for a moment. Uh, Let's think about this the way that that James has asked us to. And I got a little bit of help here. 
Let's think about water pouring out of our mouth, a spigot. I've got here some uh, 100% natural spring water. Mmm. Y'all say that with me. Mmm. That's going to be good. Yeah. Established in 1873. I got to thinking, I hope it's not this bottle of water that was established in 1873. But I trust that. Doesn't that look good? Easy pour handle. This is all good right here. Now, right here, unmarked, probably not safe for me to do to have a, I probably should have like a little, little skull and crossbones right here. In this bottle is also water, but there's just a little bit of salmonella in it. Y'all don't mind that, do you? Just a little bit of salmonella. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add to this water just, oh, there we go. I'm two, th- three drops at the most is what I just added, Okay put that up we don't want that to spill okay who wants a drink and folks this is an entire gallon of pure 100% natural spring water two or three drops of salmonella I mean what's that drink you grasp the point see that's the point James is making you know what folks I don't actually believe that the problem in this room is that gallons and gallons and gallons of death and poison are pouring out of your mouth. That's not the problem. Most of us do not. Not all of us. But most of us do not have gallons of poison and death pouring out. Maybe just two or three drops here and there. The two or three drops, they count to God. Those two or three drops count to Jesus. The way Jesus said it is, every idle word you'll stand before God and answer for. Word, not words, not the whole sentence. The drop, the single word Jesus says you and I will be held accountable for. Does that seem a little over the top? A little strict on God's part? Not when you stop and see how incredibly destructive. Did you know two and three words have destroyed entire churches? And two and three words have destroyed entire lives. We're going to be held accountable for that. So our challenge then is to tame the tongue. How do we do that? Believe it or not, folks, I don't, I don't think the challenge before us is, is a list of nine things that we do. I think we go back to chapter 1, verse 19. Shut the factory down. That's the, here, you want to you start taming this thing? Shut it down. Now you think, surely i got to speak at some point. Well, yeah, we do, but that's when we've got to start measuring what comes out. You know, folks, this is a real theme of Scripture, the, the power of words and the influence they can have. And the good news is that while two or three words can be so destructive, two or three words can also have such tremendous good impact. Look at what Scripture says. Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 12, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. Do you know anybody like that? Are you that person? There is one whose words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise... Are you wise? Yes, I am. Then what you'll find is that as you speak, your words are constantly fixing. 
constantly helping, constantly building. They, they make places better. They make situations better. They heal. That's what your words do. They heal. Look at this next one, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk. No, not a little bit. Not two, it's okay for two or three drops of corruption every now and then. What is, when it's something's being corrupted, what's it doing? It's decaying. It's falling apart. It's being broken down. Not a single word should ever part your lips that has the effect of, of corrupting. But only such... As is good for building. As fits. Folks, do you see the measuring being done here? I'm measuring in this moment what will build this person. What will build this situation. I am measuring what is most rightly going to fit. And it does take measurement. Because folks, the truth is, sometimes hard words do need to be spoken. Sometimes there needs to be conversations of correction, of discipline, of hard words. But as we measure, man, we've got one goal in delivering that word, grace. 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 And so to do that, we have to tame this thing. So I've got I've to stop the flow, first of all. i got to be quiet, chapter 1, verse 19, and listen. And what am I listening for? Blah, 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 blah. No, what I'm listening for, folks, is what is going to be the most appropriate word for this moment. I'm listening because I want to build in this person. I want to build in this situation. Hey, there is a problem. Something is wrong. And I want the word out of my mouth to count. I want it to fix. I I want it to heal. And that means i got to be quiet. I've got to really listen. And then the last thing, folks... You know, I'm kind of, if you have your Bible still open in James 3, verse 8, do you see what it says there? No one can tame the tongue. That's a, that's a very absolute statement. No one can tame the tongue. You know, if you just take that verse and look at it right there, you'd stop and say, well, then why are we talking about it? <laughs> why, why, why did you spend 12 verses telling me I can't fix it? Why don't we just talk about how we can hop to the moon? You know, it, well, if no one can fix it, why are you talking about it? No one can fix it. Without the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I've got to do is I've got to be quiet. I've got to listen. And I've got to pray to the Holy Spirit. Be quiet. Listen. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Be quiet. Listen. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Can I say it one more time? Y'all patient with me? Be quiet. Listen. Pray to the Holy Spirit. That's how we tame to the tongue. Now I want to say something real quick because I can't talk about the Holy Spirit if you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you're here today in this room out at the theater and you've never come to a place in your life where you've turned from sin, you've turned from self, it is an event, it is a moment that it's happening. You're not kind of a Christian. You're not kind of in a relationship with God. You either are or you're not. And if you're here today and you've never taken a step of faith To turn from self and and give your life to Jesus Christ. Trust in His love, His forgiveness, His salvation. Then you don't have that relationship. And today may be the day that needs to happen in your life. As a matter of fact, I want to ask you to begin praying right now. Lord, does that need to happen in my life? If you're thinking about it, there's a good chance that God is talking to you right now. 
And at the conclusion of our service, there'll be a place right out back toward the big window here in our campus. There's a desk back there. A group of people standing there would love to talk with you today about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Pastor Ham out at the theater will direct you at the end of the service where you can go and talk to someone about how you have a relationship with Christ. And there's this incredible thing. Not only does God come and live in us when we have a relationship with Christ, but he gives us a piece of himself. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He says, this is a guarantee that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's a guarantee of my love. The Holy Spirit will come and live in you. Now, the question is, are you and I depending upon that Holy Spirit for our words? You know, my guess is we can say yes to a degree. You ever prayed about a conversation? About about a lot of us have. We've said, when we know, Lord, when I, help me with this today. I know there's going to be some hard words. And, and we've asked God to help us in a meeting. We've asked God to, to guide our words in this conversation. I, I hope this is not a real surprise to you. I pray about my words every Sunday. My, my words up here, my words as I go and talk to individuals. Man, I really, in those moments, want God to have control of this tongue. I want God's words to be coming out. I want what's being said here to be inspired by heaven, not where our tongue is usually inspired by hell. But I think what James would challenge me with, would challenge you and I with, is not just that we have moments that we pray about the Holy Spirit's guidance and help with our words. But folks, that it is the regular, constant discipline of our lives that every day, and sometimes throughout the day, we're praying about the Holy Spirit having control of this. Because I want my tongue to be inspired by heaven. What about y'all? Yeah. Yeah. Do you see, James? How does this happen? That words inspired by heaven come pouring out and seconds later, hell owns my tongue. How does that happen? There's no possible way that can be. Do you see James just almost shaking with frustration? And yet it will happen, listen folks, it will happen in every church meeting today. It will happen in every gathering of Christ across this world today. How does that happen? And you think about the theme of the whole letter. We're a people of faith. So how does it happen that hell still owns our tongue? Be quiet. Listen. Trust the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask His guidance. There is such a powerful, awful effect in this tongue. How do you want your tongue to be used? It's not enough to say. Isn't that what James has been telling us now for six weeks? It's not enough to say, Oh, I want it to be used by the Lord. What does James then say? Show me. And you know what, folks? You can look through your life. You can look back over the last week. Where did your tongue heal? Where did your tongue make it better? Or is there some places where it made things worse? You know, here's, here's our assignment today. This is not a fun assignment. This is a hard one. But I hope as we're, we're getting ready to leave here in a moment, you're thinking back over the last seven days, maybe two weeks. I think to go any farther than that, it just becomes too much. <laughs> 
Is there somebody you need to today? Don't put it off till tomorrow. It won't work. Say, well, they're at work. Call them. You probably can get their number. Email them. Is there somebody you need to say, I'm sorry. I said something I shouldn't have said. Now, you, really, you, you know what we really need to say? And I, you don't have to say this, but you know, what we need to say is, I, I'm sorry, I let, I let hell own my tongue when I stopped you out on the sidewalk or I stopped you on the, in the concourse last week because I wanted to tell you what I thought of that person. I, I, I wanted to tell you what I thought of you. <laughs> and I, I, just, I just gave my tongue over to hell. It was set on fire by hell itself. I'm, I'm sorry. I hope you'll forgive me. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's your mate. The most important thing you can do is confess that. We're going to see a lesson, James chapter 5, probably another month or so, close to two months. We'll get to James 5. It says, confess your sins to one another. Do you know why that's so important? Because if I go to you and I confess, hey, I I gossiped last week and my goal was really just to get you to hate that person as much as I hate them. Do you know if I confess that to you, I will probably never commit that sin with you again. Because that'd that'd just be embarrassing, wouldn't it? To come tell you I'm sorry for something and then come right in front of you and do it all over again. We really help ourselves fight sin and defeat sin when we turn around and confess it to one another. Probably one of the biggest things we don't do in the church is confess our sins to one another. And it's why most of us never defeat the sin in our lives. Because I'm going to handle it privately. The sin you're handling privately is the sin that will own you until the day you stand before God. Let's pray. Father, I don't want my tongue to ever be inspired by hell. Not not for one sentence, not for three words. When I consider the cross, your grace, your love, the word of love, the word of blessing, the word of forgiveness that you have filled my life with. God, what is wrong with me? What kind of hate and ugliness, what kind of poison is coursing through me that I would hand my tongue over to hell on a regular basis? God, I pray you'll guide each one of us where we need to confess that in our lives very specifically and very individually to who that needs to happen with. Give us the courage, give us the faith to actually do something about our sin instead of make all these little private decisions we'll never do anything about. God, I want my life. I want my family. I want my church to be a place that life pours out of our mouth for your glory, for your honor, for the advancing of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.